religious organization, a church, because of freedoms that uh, really have been purchased in many ways by men and women who've given their lives, actually died giving the ultimate sacrifice. For our sake, we could even say that we could enjoy the freedom of religion like we do, as well as many other freedoms. And so uh, I'm so grateful, and I'm sure all of us are. So we want to thank God for uh, this country and the people that have gone before us to secure some kinds of freedoms that, that people around the world, in many cases, do not enjoy. And so I want to do both those things. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, as we bow in prayer before you in uh, this service, this Memorial uh, Day weekend service, we'd ask God for your special blessing on this family pictured on the screen the Day family, Sean and Janet and their, their sons, uh, John and Michael, as they uh, endure through some very difficult times. Father, uh, we know that they are looking up to you, that they're seeking your face, that they're desiring, God, uh, all of your blessing upon them, including a healing. We would ask on their behalf in this service as the Branch Church as well. God, give uh, give attention to our prayer as we pray in the strong name of Jesus for their sake, that God, it might be within uh, your will, your desire to see that Sean might be healed from this uh, brain tumor, that God, he'd be fully restored. It would be our desire, our will for that, um, but your will be done, your will, not ours. We always ask that because you see the bigger picture in all of our lives, and we know that ultimately, the healing you've provided through Jesus Christ. Because he was willing to die on our behalf. <clears throat> because he secured a freedom from sin. And uh, the eternal living <laughs> uh, that we look forward to with a certain and sure hope. And we pray that uh, for Sean right now, especially. So God, uh, in your ways, we would seek for the healing upon healings to come, for grace upon grace to be covering Sean and his family. Would you touch them right now in a special way and make uh, God them understand, even feel your presence in their home today. Father, we are so grateful privileged to live in the land of the free and and uh, it's because of brave and courageous people who have defended the freedoms of this nation from its inception that we give thanks for and desire to honor with a special day tomorrow that we mark on our calendars to remember that the freedoms that we go about and and take for granted often are often have been purchased through the years by people that have uh, given uh, their own lives for it. And so we thank you today for the privilege of living in this nation with its accompanying responsibilities. We're right here at the branch desiring to make Jesus known, and we have some incredible privilege of freedom to do so, and we're so grateful. Thank you for the uh, allowance to even meet in this facility, a uh, uh, public uh, in institution that here in this country and we can meet here and preach about Jesus Christ 
within the walls of this school facility. And so we look at that and are grateful and thankful. And so just hear our prayer on all these things. And as we open your word today, would you uh, bring transformation to bear in our hearts? Would you help us to grapple and understand and wrestle with the deep uh, truths uh, that uh, have great meaning, not just for this life, but for the next life too. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being part of this Memorial Day weekend service at our 10 a.m. service. Uh, we're just thrilled you're among us, and if you're newer or brand new with us today, very special welcome to you. We're just a church. We call ourselves the branch because Jesus called himself the vine, and we're the branches, and we're to bear fruit if we abide, and we will bear much fruit, Jesus said, if we abide in him, he and us. And we want to simply know him better. We want to get to know him more. Uh, we want to understand this amazing person of Jesus, the Christ, who's the greatest revelation of God that's ever walked on the planet. And, and then we want to make him known, we say, to those growing numbers of folks that come to reside out here in the East County area that are uninformed, underinformed, or misinformed about who Jesus is. We want to multiply our impact, we say, by launching other churches, the first of which will launch this coming October up in Salmon Creek, and some 25 to 30 people from our number will uh, be sent to be part of the ex uh, extending the gospel, making Jesus known in other places where there's a need. Thank, thank you for being part of that. What's that? Branching out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're, we're thrilled. We, we uh, have a significant time of uh, worship as, as, as well as learning. Uh, and today we want, we're walking through this series we've called Jesus Talks through the kind of the greatest talk Jesus ever gave, at least it's renowned that way, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and we're breaking it up into smaller uh, Jesus or TED-type talks, uh, and, and today we're dealing with this place where Jesus talks about the Bible. So I'm giving you a picture of a Bible, an open Bible, because I think Bibles are better open, don't you? They're better open and, uh, when we're reading them and looking into them and considering what God is saying through the Bible. I'd like to ask you, opening this talk, this question. What has been your experience with the Bible in your life? What has your, been your life experience with the Bible? And, uh, you know, I, I, you, know you, you can think about it for yourself. But if you're like me, perhaps um, this, you've considered the Bible an important book. And, and this is the way I was growing up. It was an important book that I never read, that I never engaged in, that, that, that I never probed the depths of. I never looked inside of it very deeply. But it was an important book. Everybody said so. And it was, it was that way. It was lifted high. And I was a churchgoer all my life. My parents took me to church. And, uh, there, and there was a Bible there. It was up front. It wasn't in the pew areas but at the church that I was raised in. And, and so I, 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 I esteemed it as a very important book. I also looked at the book as rather intimidating. When I was growing up, we had a coffee table in our home, and there was this large family Bible, about twice, maybe three times the size of this one. 
and it was on the coffee table, and it was imposing. In fact, for me as a young boy, it was rather intimidating. And one time I peeked inside of it, right? And there was language in there that I couldn't grasp. Thou saith and stuff. It was like it was an old King James Bible, right? So it's like, okay. So I'm just saying this was one of the, like my life experience with the Bible. And I was, as, I've, as I grew up in my teenage years, I was hoping I was honoring the contents of the Bible. Although, you know, I'm, I mean, I, I at least got the broad strokes of the Bible right in my life. Although I was a bit fuzzy on the details, okay? I didn't quite understand everything. But I was sure hoping for. I looked at the Bible as something that the professionals used. The religious professionals. The clergy, right? The pastors. They're the ones that dig into that Bible. Not, it wasn't necessarily for me to dig into for myself. I'm just telling you my life experience with the Bible. Anybody relate a little bit to one or a couple of those things in your life? Experience with the Bible? Okay, you know, there's, there's different experiences we have uh, about the Bible. And, and, and it's important. You know, so as I left home, here's the real test, by the way, <laughs> of whether any you know, stuff sticks sometimes when you grow up. Sometimes we're so stubborn and, you know, adverse in, in our character that we, we just rebel. But, you know, as I got out of the house, I kept going to church, but I started to ask the question, why? Why am I still going to church? You know, and, 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 I, and I started to ask questions that I'd really never asked before because I'd never really for myself. I just had to go and be part of the religious structures of my family i had to ask these questions why do i do this practice and the variety of practices that accompany the particular uh christian tribe that i was part of at the time but one of the things i came to realize as i looked around at the variety of christian tribes do you understand what i mean there christian different christian denominations different groups that that are trying to serve and honor god is is they're all looking at the Bible. They all take the Bible to be important, right? That's for sure. Cross the board, everybody believes the Bible is important. And what I came to understand as I started a renewed search uh, and later on in my life, early 20s, I'm in this new search spiritually for is God really real? Is, is this true stuff? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? What's the purpose and meaning of life, really? I got to get this stuff straight. Because am I going to live the next 60 years, from 20 to 80 or whatever? And uh, I, wanna, I want my life to mean something. I want to live my life on purpose. I want to be, I want, I just don't want to be going with the stream of life and not even asking, why am I doing what I'm doing? This came to be true with respect to my own faith in God. And so as I, as I dug in and I started to ask questions, I started to get some help, and there's a lot of help to, to grasping this stuff, friends. Don't ever let it go. Don't, if there's people in your life that need help, get them some help. Encourage them to dig in. Don't just push this stuff under the bed, under the rug, and start living life uh, suppressing the things of the supernatural, the things of spiritual. Friends, I'm afraid a lot of people do that. 
I was tempted to. Let's just bag this stuff and eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's a philosophy of life, by the way. It's an atheistic philosophy. And so I was, I was consumed with trying to figure out what my faith was all about. And what I came to find out is that the will of the God, which I claim to believe in, that my parents had instilled in me, that I even went to some religious school, the, the will of God is contained in the Word of God. I figured that much out. That God's will is inside of the Word. And the Word of God, verbal, uh, inspired revelation, how God reveals Himself, is contained in this book called the Bible. The Word of God is in here, and in the Word of God is the will of God. So if I wanted to know the will of God for my life, I had to get into the Bible. I had to, I had to stick my nose in it and grapple with it, try to understand it better. And you know what I found? That the Bible is the primary source of informed faith. If you've been to college-level kind of stuff, primary sources are absolutely critical and important to understand and to go to. Because there's all kinds of sources built on the primary source that may or may not reflect adequately that primary source. So you go to the primary source. The Bible is the primary source on God. You want to figure God out? Go to the Bible. Okay, you can read the other books about the faith. There's all kinds of Christian books. You can create a monster library out of this room of just all the books that are written about the Bible, about God, and all this. Fine and dandy. But don't forget the primary source, which is the Bible. And we have Bibles today that we can read. That thou sayest, I've been changed to, God says, or you say. <laughs> I mean, we can understand them. They're easy to, or easy to get. And so I found my faith beginning to be informed. And I found that I could answer better the religious practices and the rituals and the motions that, uh, that, that I was doing and that other people do. And I found I became more informed. I found I was actually under-informed about the faith, and I became more informed by the fact I got into the Bible. And so uh, uh, this, was, this was super important because the Bible speaks to a faith in Jesus Christ. And so uh, understand this other piece about the Bible, which is so important. It's just simply a communication. A communication from God to us. And the creator is communicating with his human creation. And so the Bible became my foundation for relating to God. I could actually be in a relationship with God. But you know what? Necessary peace, the Bible. You think you might be in a good relationship with God, but you don't understand what the Bible says? Uh, friends, you may be missing a big piece of what God wants you to understand about your life. And you may be relating wrongly to the God that has given us the truth about himself. And so we need the Bible for communicating. I found that out. And, and I found out that every human life, your life, my life, every single human life, is going to be judged by the standards set by God in this book. Do you believe that? 
If you, if you don't, you're, uh, you're going to be awakened one day, too late perhaps, before the God who will use the standards that he gave us, clear, to say, okay, this is what you did with your one and only life. Here's what I said, how, how you can fix any situations in your one and only life, how you can be reconciled with me, how you can live a forever life. The Bible, friends, is certainly the uh, most published book, most uh, copied, um, most printed. It's, it's the most best-selling book of all time. It is also uh, the most persecuted book across the globe. This book, um, Part of the reason for the Dark Ages is because they took the Bible's light away from the common people. People didn't have access to this as much through the Dark Ages. And they were dark, too. And so, so this idea that the, that the Bible became this most smuggled book because it was the most important book. It was so important for people to get. Well, Jesus talks about this book. Do you know that? He talks about it right here in this great talk he gave. And, and so we're just going to ask this question. What does Jesus say about the Bible? We're going to look at four points from four simple verses. If you have some notes, you're welcome to write down uh, some of the, the, the fill-ins just before fill-ins. But look at the scripture beginning with verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. Look what Jesus says. Do not think, he said, that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Look what he says. But to fulfill them. Jesus was clarifying something quickly inside of this big talk, this very important talk to those who are disciples. His close ones and overhearing a big crowd also was listening in on what he was doing in his training talk, we might even say. He, he, he says, I've not come to abolish but to fulfill them. So he gave a clarification that he was not against God's true biblical laws but actually fulfilling them. Jesus is responding, by the way, right here, to some of the false charges that he and his followers were, uh, that, that they were uh, charging him that he's undermining the law and prophets. That's, uh, that's what they, they thought about him. They considered him, those religious leaders, actually kind of a revolutionary to, to them. He didn't toe the line of uh, their, their rules and their practices. And Jesus was actually concerned for the welfare of the common person who was having to live under the teachings of the church of his time, which was the synagogue worship, the temple worship of the time. And so let me just take you to a case in point where there was some tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. Look what is uh, recorded here. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples, notice, break the tradition of the elders? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And what did they say? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, understand, this, was a, this wasn't just a hygienic kind of thing. By the way, it's a good idea to wash your hands before you eat. And uh, do do that, according to your parents and your mom's dictates, of course. But this was a ceremonial act, religious act, is what it was all about. And Jesus replied to that, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? 
for God said, Jesus says, for God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Jesus said to them, you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father and mother, especially financially help them, materially help them, is the idea here. Anything that was being, that, that could be used to help your father and mother is devoted to God, is Corban. It's set aside for the temple. It's set aside to help with God's work. Thus, Jesus says, what it says up here on the screen, thus you nullify as make void the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Then look what Jesus says. What did he say? You hypocrites. Do you think he said that with some emphasis? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings, not God's, are merely human rules. That was the tradition. That was the rules on top of the pure Bible rules of the time. And they do all kinds of things. like They did all kinds of things like that. Jesus got down on them. Jesus became the most angry at the religious people for the traditions or their unbiblical teachings that burdened people. Nullifying the very word of God. Instead of honoring your father and mother. What was that, the fifth commandment? <laughs> they would dishonor their father and mother. And Jesus got after them about that. He would have wanted to abolish those traditions. That's what Jesus would have wanted to do. That's the teachings on top of God's straightforward word that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of that time were uh, bringing forth onto people. So friends, we need to be careful about just religious laws, behaviors and practices that tend to define holiness or define our fellowship together where the Bible doesn't define it that way. The Bible gives us some freedom in some areas that we, you know, sometimes religious leaders want to take and bring restriction to. In other cases, there's religious leaders that would allow for things to occur that are actually sin and say that they are God-honoring. That's the other side of it. So bringing restriction where the Bible doesn't bring restriction or bringing liberty where the Bible doesn't bring liberty. It's out of bounds. Jesus says, you don't, that's, that's not right. This is what Jesus says about the Bible, my friends. Okay? And we need, to get, we need to get purely Bible. I grew up thinking that if I didn't say a certain number of prayers, that my sins wouldn't be forgiven. That's nullifying the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, glad I came to some understanding. I was underinformed. I need to get back to this Bible instead of trying to understand it from laws of the of dogmatic church over periods of many, many centuries. And friends, be careful. That's why 
What do I say? What, how do I nag us? Read your Bible. Get into the Bible. The more you look at the truth, the more you'll be able to detect error. The more you'll be able to detect, well, that doesn't seem quite right. I'm going to dig in more so that I, 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 I'm, I'm more sure of why I would trust and believe what I do because it does matter. It does matter. Friends, Jesus would be executed in part for breaking the tradition, not following and towing the line of these religious leaders. And they would get him. Yep, they would. They'd take him all the way to the cross. Little did they know that God used that to bring liberty to you and me and the whole world. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So there was these hand-washing things. There was all kinds of laws about the Sabbath. There's what's called the, the Mishnah that has 800 pages and the Talmud that has 72 volumes of legalese uh, in just respect to Judaism. And some of that was orally transmitted at the time of Jesus and he was against it. He was against it. Jesus' view of scripture did not accommodate the culture. And that, that fact has implications for our view of scripture. Jesus' followers... Uh, should hold to the view of Scripture Jesus has. Don't add, don't take away, don't modify, don't change the intent of God's Word. I can't be any more clear about this, my friends. You follow this book, and it'll lead you to Jesus Christ, who will lead you to the Father, who will lead you to the line, not living for the dot, but living for that line of life. That's the eternal life that we all have a hope to have. Oh, my goodness. So how did Jesus fulfill, or this idea of level up to the top, or fill up, the idea of complete something? How did he fulfill, then, the law and the prophets? He wasn't trying to abolish them. The law and the prophets were completed in, in how? And just, just three quick items uh, to, to have you think about this. In, t in, t in partial revelation being completed, a lot in the Old Testament, you didn't understand the idea of the triune God, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so the New Testament brings that forward and fresh and illuminates us. It's additional revelation that helps us to understand the triune being of the one God. Uh, and, and so we have that or we have the full salvation and the new agreement called the new covenant with God that's revealed through Jesus Christ or we have this predictive prophecy that's fulfilled that foretells or foreshadows through the sacrificial system uh, that there would need to be because there's there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood and the wages of sin is is death therefore we need a sacrifice but all of the animal sacrifices combined in the whole world would not be able to take away even your individual sins because it needed to be the death of a human no animal sacrifice could take the place of the special creation made in the image of god that is human like you and me no it would need to be the the death of a person which in we could atone for our own death and satisfy uh, the the penalty of the law of god which people will one day unless they turn to Jesus Christ, who became the offering once for all, given to take away the sin of the world. And so John the Baptist pointed about it and says, there he is, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The God-man, the one who made everybody, could die in everybody's place. And that one death of the God-man Jesus could be effectual for taking away the sin, everybody's sin, of everybody who ever lived. Should they choose to accept that gift to be made righteous with God? So Jesus substituted himself for you and for me, saying, I will take all your sins. Trust me for that. Thereby you will have an eternal, immortal life ahead of you. Wow. Well, that comes through the New Testament. That comes through this revelation at the time Jesus is talking about that would come. A fulfillment of the law. And the moral law clarified. Jesus obviously fulfilled the moral law by absolutely obeying everything, living it perfectly. He was fully righteous, thereby could become the sin offering for the whole world. So we're grateful that Jesus was fully obedient and then Jesus clarifies the depth of the meaning of the moral law, which we'll see more clearly over this next several weeks. Um, and, and so look at this next verse, verse 18. Jesus goes on. He says, for truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will be by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus emphasized God's true written standards are authoritative and unchangeable. This smallest letter would be the iota, smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you ever heard the term, it does not make one iota of a difference? Okay, that's the idea. It's just like a small apostrophe. Nothing's going to change, Jesus says. The least stroke would be like the little squiggly line at the bottom of, the, of, of a, of a uh, cue, you know, uh, it's, it's not going to go away. The translation, what does that mean? Even trivial issues are important to God. But it also implies that weightier issues are very important to God. The little ones aren't going to go away, nor are the big ones. You can count on it. God's word's going to stand. And, and, and so he means for us to get that, I think. He's not given us a right to pick and choose among his commandments. God does not allow us the right to say, I'll obey this teaching about murder, but not this teaching about adultery or fornication. We don't have a choice. We've got to obey it all. Uh, or I, I will obey this teaching about theft, but not this teaching about divorce. Or looking at the Old Testament, which if you read according to the Bible reading plan of the branch, you'll be in the Old Testament every day if you choose to according to the plan that we provide. There's all kinds of plans. I'm just asking you to get into the Bible on a daily basis. That's not a law. It's a recommendation and a recommendation of wisdom living. All right? That's what I, what I submit to you. <coughs> I don't end up doing it religiously every day. I miss some days. But uh, as a matter of course, it's, it's in my general habit to be in the Bible as much as I can every day. And so look at the Old Testament. It, it's, it can't be minimized. It shouldn't be dismissed. It's not necessarily our law, but it's moral truths prevail today. And so the Bible says all scriptures God breathed and useful in 2 Timothy 3 for teaching. It's useful for teaching. This is all scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants us to do good works. It's, it's what helps us to let our light shine, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to be salt and light in the earth. We 
we do good works. How are we going to become better people? How are we going to become more good? It comes from the Bible. It comes from the Bible. God made us good. We're very good. And he has instruction in here to, to live good and gooder, if I can say it. You know, he wants us to. And the Bible is equipped to give us that. Want to improve your life? Get in the Bible. Now, there's all kinds of self-help books. I understand. I, take them in if you can. But this is a primary source for living a better life right here. But look what it says in 1 Corinthians 10. These things that happened to them, that's in the Old Testament, happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. As warnings for us. So we can take that still to this day, 2,000 years later, on whom the fulfillment of the ages have come. The fulfillment of the ages has come in the last days. We are part of the latter days. That's the days following Christ. Not the former days. We're part of the latter days. And we're part of the fulfillment of the ages. And so they're written down as warnings. And so they said, don't grumble as they did. They were, actually, there was some death penalty associated with that. Don't test God. Don't be immoral. Those things are as, you know, important for us today as they were for the people that lived 3,000 years ago. And so they're written down. So we take in all of the scripture to help us with life. Look at verse 19. This is the third um, verse and just a third point. Therefore, Jesus is building on this. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others ac accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And I think he's talking to some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law who had corrupted some of God's law already. The straightforward, pure Bible teaching already. But whoever practices and teaches those these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus warned God's commands should be practiced and taught. And just let me focus on the word and taught. Therefore, Jesus said, before he was ascended to heaven, these are the marching orders that the branch takes. This is what uh, fuels our passion right here, friends. This is what we're all about. Lori and I have been in ministry 28, going on 30 years. We're just, it, it, we're filled up with this command. This command is, is important. Our Lord has commanded this. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so we have this, uh, this discipleship, which is this idea of learning, um, being an apprentice, um, adhering to Jesus' teachings, following him. We're part of doing that with ourselves and extending the gospel by continuing to reach out to make new disciples and baptizing and teaching. And so we have learning opportunities that we desire people to engage in in the church where uh, Peter I would say grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and so we have uh, this environment we have the environments of small groups like men's groups and women's groups and like the art of parenting class that tonight if anyone is, uh, hasn't joined that and would like to you're welcome to there's about five families units involved in that these are important places where we can grow and be taught the things that are right ab about uh, following the Lord. Here's what I know. If you're going to prevail in following Jesus, 
You must grow by being rooted in the Word of God, which is the Bible. You're going to grow in your prevailing discipleship as a follower of Jesus. You're going to have to find it out of the Bible. It can, the, the roots of all of our growth are contained from God's Word in here. Um, and so it's, it's, it's vital that we, we maintain that in the Bible. I just uh, got a brand new study Bible about a week and a half ago down at the coast, I think Book Warehouse. Have it on, have it on the shelf, about 16 bucks. This is essential study Bible, essentials, uh, from the NIV uh, version, and it has a variety of things. This thing is awesome, giving me all kinds of additional windows of light into the text that I'm reading as I read every day. I recommend you study, uh, try to read your Bible every day with a study Bible. It's just how helpful. <laughs> it is for me anyway, okay, and I've been to Bible college. <laughs> but it's so helpful just to dig in. It makes your reading more interesting. It opens up. You can kind of understand the occasion of why this is being talked about. Make some application to your own life. It's a real valuable thing. We're uh, disciples. We're being taught, and we must do that. Last verse. For I tell you, Jesus said, for I tell you, look how he builds on this. Look at where he's going to right now. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, look what he says, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa! Does that get anybody's attention? You know who the world record holders were for keeping the law? Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They were. They were the world record holders. They did everything perfectly. They were the perfectionists with the law. So they thought. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying, outward look at them, you would just say, man, how would we ever be able to live up to that? See, Jesus stressed that God's rules demand obedience from the heart. That's what we're going to see in these next lessons. As these little talks that we're going we're to look through this chapter 5. God's rules demand obedience from the heart. The, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we, we would find, and Jesus would point out, had outward conformity to the, to the laws. But that wasn't enough. Because God's looking for inner motives, and he's looking for our thoughts. He's looking for our desires. He's, he's trying to build the inner structure of our being so that we don't gradually, subtly drift and, and then let our imaginations go wicked. God calls us to have a mind that worships Him, a soul and a heart that worships Him, that fully loves Him. And so we, we look at the Bible, and it's it, one of the metaphors, it's like a mirror. So we look at the mirror and we, okay, we can fix ourselves up. We can see what we look like. Well, we can see what our insides look like through the text of Scripture as God's talking to us. We help our understand, oh, I'm a grumbler or I'm a, I think this way or in my mind's eye I'm looking at things like that's wrong and I can change that that, that way. Or it's the sword of the Spirit. And so the Bible's like a sword, two-edged sword which gets down and pierces even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, often seen together, or uh, bone and marrow, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As you get into the Bible, you're going to see things in you that nothing else will be able to disclose. God will make it evident. The, the Spirit of God who's in you works with the sword 
of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus says, look, your righteousness needs to go beyond your outward performance. It needs to go to your inner mindset. And so that's going to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and be joy. But friends, to enter the kingdom of heaven, no one's getting in without the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. No one, no one's getting in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus would start out this talk with. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who are dependent on needy, on someone else. And the poor in spirit, with regard to Christianity, is our need of God and his son, Jesus Christ. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus would say, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We need to have a new birth. That's what Jesus would say. And, and, he would, and Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is that good news uh, that God brings because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, remember this? We spent three months on this. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, not by our own works. It's not by our self-righteousness. It's not by our performance of obedience to law it won't get us in. The only thing that gets us in is by taking that perfect obedience of Jesus and saying, that's what gets me in. The very cross of Christ, he paid for my way into heaven. I couldn't. If I had to pay, I'd have to die. Jesus paid. And he says, now you can go in free from the guilt of sin. That's a righteousness, a right standing before God that I can't get on my own. The Pharisees couldn't get on their own the teachers of the law couldn't get on their own even if i become a, a more righteous person in my mind as well as in my acts i still not going to get me in i still need jesus christ the righteousness that comes through the gospel of jesus christ that's his death his burial and his resurrection to save the world to save you from your sin penalty and me from my sin penalty let's pray oh god we uh we again just uh, memorialize Jesus' death for us in communion today and in this message as we consider the righteousness that's needed. Thank you for declaring us righteous as we place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to suffer and die, although he didn't deserve, for our sins. And free us, <laughs> free us as we place our complete faith, our trust in that sacrifice for us. We love you. We thank you. This morning, we want to especially thank you for the Bible. God, would you help us to dig in, to engage, to find ways in which we can be blessed by your word, your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have this quick song. It's not going to be a long one because we're going to run out of time. Forgive my tardiness on that. But I want to invite you to stand. I want to encourage you to give us a card. That's that connection card. And uh, check it out if you want to put a prayer request on there or mark a box. Um, if anything in this service prompted you to say, hey, I want to, I, want to, I want to go further with my faith and you would like me to assist in that, please let me know. You can do that on the card. I'll be also out here as you, um, as you go home today. If you have kids, go get your kids. Have some more food and refreshments. 
greet one another before you go. Thanks for coming, everybody. Let's respond to that sermon, that great sermon. Amen. Yeah. Here we go. Who breaks the power? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Who loves is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory. Say what? The King above all kings. Yeah. Come on, say. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory. The King above all kings. Here we go. This is amazing grace. Hallelujah. This is 